week here and uh, thankful for it. If uh, you don't have a Bible this morning and you want to follow along with us, go to the book of Ruth. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, Beijo back here would love to hand you a Bible. We'll do that in a minute. Bibles first. I'll get to there in a moment, uh, Beige. And just keep your hand raised. And um, he'd, he'd love to hand you a Bible. I, uh, I just spent 10 days in Palm Springs to just take a break from uh, the pulpit and from, and from uh, Truckee in general, and I feel amazing right now. It is, it is so, <laughs> yeah, it, it feels good to uh, not be buried under snow for a little while. I forgot what that was like. A um, couple things uh, I want to highlight. Um, one, if uh, we are starting Ruth, so we're, we're, we're finally there. I know I've been promoting it for a while, and many of you have asked over the weeks, when are we going to start? When are we going to start? Well, we're going to start today. And um, we, we have these um, available for you, these ESV uh, journals. It's the book of Ruth. So it's, it's basically, it's scripture. And then on, on one side is the book of Ruth. On the other side is a journal. And we're going to start providing these for sale every time we start a book. So we figure in about 20 years, you'll have the entire Bible. Um, but uh, if you want these, they're in the bookstore for $6. Now, here, here's the catch here. Uh, this is my last one. So if you want them, you're going to have to come in the week and get them. Uh, we're going to reorder them, but this one's reserved uh, specifically for Courtney. Sorry, she asked for it first. First is last, last is first. I don't know. Almost beige. We're almost there. Um, okay, so I'm going <clears> to, <throat> when you came in, you got an annual report. If you didn't get one, you want to look at it real quick. I'm going to talk about this for a few moments, um, and I'm going to kind of move fast. So if you want one of these, just raise your hand if you don't have one, and uh, and we're going to go quick, okay? So um, you're, you're going to feel like uh, I've had too many cups of coffee as I present this stuff to you. So, and it's, I haven't actually had that much caffeine. It's just because I spent 10 days in Palm Springs. I feel really good. <clears throat> so here, this is what we do. Um, every year, we, um, we, make, we, we present to you what we call uh, a VISTA report. And um, we call it VISTA because annual report really doesn't do it justice. It's twofold. It, it, one, it does on the front page. It just tells you who we are. So if you've been here for any length of time, you know that we desire to follow Jesus and make disciples. That's our vision. And we desire to do that for his glory. So we want to magnify his name. We do it through his word. So we put a big emphasis on scripture. And we do it by being on his mission. We want to see people who don't know Jesus come to fall in love with Jesus and know who he is. So that's just who we are. I don't need to spend a ton of time on that. Now, if you open it up in the middle, instead of giving you a booklet, which we've done in years past, we just put it in an icon form in a very artistic way. Uh, and so I just want to highlight a couple of things that, that are worthy of celebrating from 2018. Um, here's, here's the big one. We launched Kids Ministry, uh, Children's Church, Sunday mornings at 8.30, in addition to the 10.30 service. Uh, we, in addition to launching that 8.30 service, we launched family devotions for all our families this year. So all of your kids, whatever they're going through, right now they're actually going through Ruth this morning. If you go into the family devotions, either online or you get the hard copy at the check-in booth, you can walk along the week with your kids in the family devotions. Launch that this year. Uh, we launched a new handbook for all of our teachers. And in the last year, we went from five volunteers in Children's Church to over 30 volunteers in Children's Church. Yes, you can clap. That's good stuff. Um, if you go down, you'll see under the, uh, the deacon section, it's in the lower part of the page, you'll see a little number there that says 19K. Uh, we have a, a fund that we use for, bene for benevolence in the community and in our church that is a fund that is specifically used to help people in need. We gave close to $20,000 for those who could not, for, for whatever reason, they, they had a medical problem, we helped pay their medical bills, they had another kind of issue, whatever that issue is, we helped pay for their rent. Uh, we've given away tons of meals, Safeway cards for those who've needed to buy some groceries uh, and, and gas for those who've needed it. So out of our budget, almost $20,000 just out the door to help people in need. If you go to the next number, uh, you can clap here. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Okay, fine, yeah. Praise Jesus, yeah, all right, come on now. Jesse had time of vacation, praise the Lord. All right, um, if you go to the next side, under our missions, we support nine missionaries. The number for the missionaries is on the other, on the back side of the page, but we give monthly. We give a, a designated amount to each missionary monthly, uh, so we have nine of those missionaries spread out through the world. In addition to that, we gave an additional over $60,000 to global missions through our church, which is pretty incredible, $60,000. And then, in addition to that, 
uh, we gave $20,000 uh, to fire relief for Santa Rosa. And I was corrected. Um, this is a pretty incredible number. I was corrected uh, by my financial people that that $20,000 was for, was for Santa Rosa alone, okay? In addition to that, people gave in other ways. Um, we also gave this year, in, which will be in the next report, over $55,000 to the Paradise Fires and those in need of Paradise Fires. So um, that's pretty cool. Youth groups doing a great job. They've had eight people come, eight young kids come to the Lord uh, this year. Uh, in addition to that, we have a bookstore. Um, I'll try, I'm going fast here. It's kind of like graduation. Clap for your son later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in our bookstore, we sold over 50 Bibles. So people are buying Bibles out of our bookstore about one a week, which is pretty incredible. We've sold over 150 titles out of that bookstore. Uh, overall, we uh, uh, close to $4,000 worth of books were sold in, our, in just our little bookstore uh, this last year. Now, that's important because all of this stuff for us, it, it's about people falling in love with Jesus. So when people are reading and they're buying books and they're buying Bibles, it means they're reading about Jesus, they're falling in love with Jesus. And if you care about theology, doctrine, or any of that stuff like we do, you know we don't sell junk in that bookstore. There is no, none of that weird top-selling stuff that really has garbage in it. It's stuff that, that is good for you and healthy for you. And um, so that's a big deal for me. Uh, we've got 13 community groups throughout the area. They're all doing a great job. Men's groups doing a great job. Uh, and so there's just all kinds of great things in here you can look at over time. I'd encourage you to hang it up on your fridge put it somewhere where you can continue to pray because that's what we did last year and to that now we say thank you jesus for that amen okay uh last part here and i'm going to go briefly on this because i'm not an expert in this uh is the financial side on the back um on the financial side on the back you'll see all the you'll see the overall budget everything that came in last year so we're really big about trying to be transparent so you know when you give to the Sierra bible church you give to the missionaries here the missions here and all that we want you to know what we're doing with it we're not trying to hide this stuff we want to be super transparent. So I'm going to give you some good news, then I'm going to give you some bad news, okay? Good news, the good news is our last fiscal year, which runs from October to October, that's how we run our fiscal year, largest giving year in the history of Sierra Bible Church. Yeah. Over, just over a million dollars went through our church, and we're really just a funnel. It comes in, and it goes out. It comes in, and it goes out. Now, with that said, we... It, 2018, was, we man, the Lord just doing all kinds of great stuff. Church was healthy. People were healthy. Growing. Finances were healthy. And then winter came. Winter. And so what happened during winter uh, is, is uh, well, first of all, we got too much snow, in my opinion. But uh, outside of that, several people in our church started to struggle. And, and, and in our family, just so you know, people got sick. Uh, we've had some people pass away, had several people diagnosed with cancer. It's been pretty difficult. Uh, and then, on top of that, some of, some of the storms landed real heavy on our Sundays. And because of that, now coming into the next year, um, we're, not, we're not at budget. We lost $20,000 in one month because of the, the snow. And so I, wa I just want to take a moment to just speak into that, because this is your church. Amen? This isn't Jesse's church. It's not Wayne's church. It's not the leadership's church. It's your church. And, and we know that that last year we had a great year financially because of the generosity of so many of you here. And so I just want to say to those of you who give regularly to our church, thank you so much for being involved in your family and caring enough that we can do all of the things that are on this sheet and we can impact people and we can help people tangibly and we can help see people come to Jesus. Thank you for that. Uh, number two, I, I just want to say if, if you've been coming and you haven't decided to give yet to the family, we would encourage you to give if this is your family. If you're here visiting, we love you. You want to drop something in as an offering, that's great. We appreciate it. No obligation. We love our visitors when they come. We love what they can do when they're here. Uh, want to encourage you in that direction. Number three, when you miss a Sunday, one of the things that happens during winter, statistically for any church, is when you miss a Sunday, you don't give that Sunday, and then you come back to church, and you give that Sunday, but you don't make up for what the past Sunday is. And, and in order to avoid that, one way that's really easy to avoid it is if you go online and you sign up for your online giving, you can have it actually taken out of your bank account. When you want it taken out, you can sign up for how you want it taken out, when you want it taken out. And whether you're here or not, Jesus still keeps your money. So <laughs> um, now here's the thing. Here's why this is important, okay? So we, we saw an incredible amount of growth 
when we brought Joe and Abby Casey on as our children's director directors part-time. They're part-time, and they're killing it. They're doing a beautiful job. Kids are falling in love with Jesus over there. Volunteers are serving. We redid Ray Hall next door. It looks beautiful over there compared to what it used to. Uh, they've done a, just an amazing job. One of the goals that we have for, for uh, the next couple years is we'd like to make that a full-time position, uh, and we'd like to, uh, to have him here. Um, we're training him and developing him to hopefully be like a family pastor for our church in addition to taking care of children's church, so he'd be available for counseling and things like that. So that's long-term, uh, and obviously finances help us build towards that, uh, the ability to do that. There's a few other things we want to do. Obviously, if you take a look, um, a couple events that are pretty amazing. Our Trunk or Treat event is now one of the largest events in Truckee, California, period. <clears throat> and uh, Brad Knoll uh, is on sabbatical. He gets back in a couple weeks. He's here this morning, so don't talk to him. Pretend he's not here. Um, <laughs> he, runs VBS, he runs VBS. A lot of our outreach stuff, we gave over 200 books away, uh, 200 uh, boots away last year uh, to kids who needed it. And that Trunk or Treat event, we had over 1,000 people here last year. That event is completely free. We charge nothing for that event. Nobody pays. Everybody gets to enjoy it. Free hot dogs, free hamburgers, free candy. And people walk onto our campus who don't know Jesus. And one of the reasons we do the Halloween event is because people who don't know Jesus come to church. And I don't know if you know this or not, but a lot of people who don't know Jesus aren't going to come here on a Sunday unless you invite them. And you should do that. I told you it's like a cup of coffee this morning. You should invite, you should invite people here who don't know the Lord, but sometimes they're just not going to come, and that's okay. So we're going to love them, and they're going to walk in, and they're going to be like, what are you guys doing here? This is a church? And people come here like at, uh, to the trunk or treat, and they go, this is a church? I've lived here for 20 years, and I didn't know this was a church. People say that because they drive by, and they don't realize that it's a church. And they'll come, and, and, and in fact, uh, uh, some friends of mine I've known for a while, they're Catholic, and they came, and they're like, this is a church event? I said, yeah, it's a church event. And uh, they said, you know we're Catholic, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, man, you're really outdoing us. And I said, I know. <laughs> um, I said, I'll see you Sunday, right? And, um, and they've been here a couple times actually since then, which is pretty neat. And, uh, and so anyways, all of that stuff, man, it takes, I, I think Brad uh, has it on here, 50 volunteers for Trunk or Treat. I mean, we, we in so many ways are just really doing a good job. And so uh, even though, even though, uh, uh, the, the winter giving has been lower and everything. I just want to say thank you for killing it. Thank you for doing an amazing job. Thank you for loving Jesus. Thank you for loving your church. And uh, hopefully, let's, let's see God do more in our church in 2019, yeah? All right, praise the Lord. <clears throat> okay, I have more, and I'm like, I feel like it's just so much. There are Easter devotionals in the bookstore if you want them. That's all I'm going to say about that. Joe and Abby, who are children's directors, uh, I don't know how many of you know, but they just gave birth to their firstborn, Adelaide Catherine, uh, last several week, couple weeks ago. And, and as we push into 2019, give you a picture of what we're doing. We have three interns right now. Uh, Jeff Hadley's one of them. Jeff, say hi to everybody. Look at this guy. So the prerequisite to any kind of leadership at our church is to have a beard, and he fit the qualification. He's good to go. Um, so all, all good stuff. Now, let's get into what really matters, God's spoken word to us, amen? If you would, please stand with me. Go to the book of Ruth, chapter 1, and uh, we'll dive in. Verse 1, chapter 1, Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man, a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malone and Chilion. They were Praphrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left, to her two, she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malone and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what is in this text. And we ask that you do a great work in our hearts because of it now, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. So this morning uh, will be kind of a, just an introduction to Ruth, a big picture. We're going to step back a little bit. I want to tell you why we're in uh, the book of Ruth. Uh, but it's, it's a story as we'll see, of this woman, Naomi, who's married to Elimelech. Elimelech passes away, and he, he left behind uh, two sons who both had wives. Those two sons died, and out of the wives, we'll focus on Ruth the most, along with Naomi. And we'll be told here in a few moments that there's famine in the land. And uh, because of this famine, Naomi, no longer having covering, no longer, longer having financial provision, is forced to leave her area, go to another place towards where the Israelites are living. She's a Moabite woman. She's not an Israelite. Uh, and she goes so that she can take part uh, in, in gleaning the trimmings of the field. So basically what God put in place, uh, which is an interesting, a whole other topic on, on how the church should be very involved in taking care of those in need, is that if you owned a field and will be introduced to a man by the name of Boaz in the text here in a little while, and Boaz owned a field and he harvested that field and obviously made money from that field. Well, God said to the Israelites, when you harvest, leave the gleanings, leave the edges of the field so that those who are in need will still have the dignity of working. And someone like Naomi and someone like Ruth would go to the gleanings of the field. Uh, the, The harvest would still be there for them. They could take the gleanings of the field for themselves to provide for themselves. And so it allowed them, first of all, notice that they had to work for it. Secondly, that God had provision for them to, to take care of those in need. It's a really beautiful picture of how God basically has said to his people that if we have what we have, it's okay to take a profit, but always make sure you're giving something to those who cannot provide for themselves. We should care greatly for those who are not able to provide for themselves. Uh, and so essentially what's going to happen is uh, Ruth is going to be, as a widow, she's going to be gleaning in the field And she's going to come across Boaz, the owner of the field. Essentially, she's going to fall in love with Boaz. And she's going to do something that she should not do. She's younger than Boaz. She's an Israelite woman. She's not a Moabite. Uh, And so what she does is she sneaks, basically sneaks into Boaz's room while he's sleeping. She places herself under the covers of Boaz's feet. And she lies there and she waits for Boaz to awake to essentially then ask Boaz to marry her which is pretty scandalous it's also a great text for any ladies to use as an excuse to ask a man to marry you um and and so that that's the overall arching story of it Elimelech uh, was Naomi's husband he dies just a couple introductions of the characters here Naomi Naomi's picture uh for her as well as Ruth Naomi is poor she's been battered by life's tragic blows She's going through a period of famine, exile, grief, and loneliness. Naomi will help us recall our own bruises, our own brokenness, our own tragedies, and our own difficulties. With Ruth, she too has gone through great tragedy. She's a widow. She's the daughter-in-law of Naomi, but she's tremendously loyal. You'll see out of the two daughter-in-laws, one decides to leave. Naomi decides to stay with her mother-in-law, forsaking quite possibly the potential of ever becoming married and having children again. Ruth is charming, she's courageous, and she's clever. And I think our world would be a better place with such characters as Ruth. And then, of course, we'll find Boaz, the Israelite who will be warm. He will be a tower of graciousness. He has a gentle manlyhood to him. He's generous, he's upright, and he challenges us to reflect on our own lives to try to live in such a way. So I want to ask the question or answer the question to you this morning, why are we studying through the book of Ruth? I have tried uh, since leading our church to, to pick books as we walk through books of the Bible to strategically say, okay, Lord, why would you have us go through this book of the season? So it, it has been an attempt to not just randomly do a, you know, what's called Bible roulette. Lord, what do you want me to study? Proverbs, right? You ever do that? Has anyone ever played Bible roulette? You're looking for God to answer a question, and so you just, ugh. My fortress shall not be greatly shaken. It doesn't work. And uh, I try to pray, and I try to ask the Lord, okay, why? So if you remember, 
almost two years ago um, in July, it'll be two years in July, or two years in June, I'm sorry. And we started in June, we started the Gospel of John. And for a year, we walked through that great gospel. And, and the idea for me was, was that whenever we start something fresh, whenever we start something new, it's important for us to be reminded that everything centers around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything points us to Jesus. And so I wanted to take some time for us as a church to just walk through the life of Jesus, to walk through the gospel, to see Jesus, to love Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to say to us as a church, even though we went through a transition in leadership, that Jesus is and always will be the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church. Then, after we went through the Gospel of John, I said, okay, the Gospel is for us, we know it's for us, but we now need to be reminded that the Gospel is not just for us, it's for people that, that are not like us. And that's what we saw in Jonah, that God wants to save the ugly, horrible Ninevites, that God wants to save people in your life that you think are unsavable, that God wants to save the broken, the bruised, the ugly, the sinner. He's for all people. Then after we saturated ourselves in the gospel, we said, now what we need is a good dose of obedience. So we spent some time in the epistle of James. Don't just hear the word. Be a doer of the word. And as we went through that season in James, we were reminded of the opening of James where it says to us in James, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of what kinds? Various kinds. And all of a sudden, as we started going through James, it was as if by God's providence, our church started to go through its own personal struggles and hardships. Low attendance on Sunday mornings during the winter. Individuals being diagnosed with cancer. Many cases of individuals in our church struggling with anxiety, depression. It almost seemed to come like a wave, a sudden just crash of people struggling. Just, just, just kind of, if you will, winter in some ways was metaphorical for what was happening spiritually. The sun wasn't shining, not only physically, but also somewhat in our hearts. So now we come to the book of Ruth, strategically saying to us as a church that hopefully we have an understanding of the gospel, but also knowing that we need to continually be preaching the gospel, and we need to be reminded of the gospel, not just one time, but many times, not just one day, but every day, not at just one moment, but many moments. It's the gospel which had the power of salvation to save you, and it's the gospel that will continue to keep you. The gospel will continue to be the center of what we do. But since we've now gone through the season of struggle, Ruth, Ruth is a story that moves from sorrow to great joy. That's the season that I'm looking for. Now, let me, let me just add something that's really important. I in no way believe that by choosing a particular book that God is somehow bound to being obedient to my choice. God, Ruth moves us from sorrow to joy, so no more sorrow, okay? <laughs> He's not bound to that. However, I want you to step into what has occurred within this text. Here's the first thing you need to know from the text itself. It tells us in the beginning in the days of the judges. It gives us the time period the time period in which Ruth was written, between 1500 B.C. to 1100 B.C., a 400-year period where Israel entered into the Promised Land under Joshua before there were any kings. And in the days of the Judges is depicted in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, like this. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. It was a time in Israel's history where they had been taken out of the promised land. They have seen God move in some pretty miraculous, amazing ways. God has been good to them. God has been gracious to them. And after they enter into the promised land, they enter into the cycle in Judges that repeats itself over and over again. And it goes like this. Israel sins. Not just a little bit, but radically. Very ugly, very dark. How many of you have read through the book of Judges? Man, you want some dark stories? Read Judges. There's a story in there where a fat guy loses a knife inside of his belly. He's been stabbed. That's one of the stories. It's, it's, it's a period in time that is ugly, and it's filled with, with Israel sinning. And, and here's the cycle. Israel would sin. Because of their sin, God would send enemies against Israel. Once the enemies were oppressing them, then Israel would do what we all do in a tragedy. They'd cry out to God for salvation and for help then God would rise up a judge like Samson to free them from their oppression. And that is 
all judges is. Sin, oppression, freedom from sin, and they enter right back in it all over again. And at some point, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you know you've done this. You read it, and you read it, and you, and you say to yourself as you're reading it, these people are dumb. What was wrong with them? Has anyone ever done that? Come on, if you haven't, you either haven't read it, or, <laughs> or you have a higher view of yourself right now. It, the, because Israel's the picture of not just the, the cycle and judges. is isn't just the cycle of them. It's our cycle as well. All of us move in our, our own relationship with God from a place of gratitude and worship, and then we forget him because things are going well, and then bad things happen, and we realize, oh my gosh, I'm in need of a Savior. And then you cry out to God, and because God is gracious and he's amazing and he's loving, he frees you from it, only for you to rejoice for but a little while and then enter right back into your own junk again. So Judges is this dark, dark period where we look and we just say to ourselves, what are you doing? I can't believe how dumb Israel is. But Israel is a mirror for our own hearts. And in the book of Ruth, we're told that this, this is what's happening. So here's what Ruth is. It's this little diamond in the rough. It's this little thing that we see, just this glimmer of hope and beauty and goodness. It's a hidden work of beauty in some very dark days. It's a reminder. It's a reminder for us that though the season you may be in may feel dark and may feel oppressive, there's always something very shiny and bright and beautiful inside that dark days. So this is what's occurring within Ruth. The days of the judges. A dark day. A hard time. 400 years. You think you're suffering for a long time? 400 years of suffering in a cyclical pattern. What we have before us in this book is a simple four chapters. 85 verses. Roughly 1,200 plus words. Almost 700 of them are dialogue. And in that dialogue, guess who speaks the least? Ruth. In fact, some theologians say uh, about Ruth that, that this actually shouldn't be called the book of Ruth. It should be titled something completely, uh, completely different. It should be called, actually, they say the book of Obed. And I'll explain to you about that why in a moment. But it's a book of commonality, common people. I want you to notice that, that if, you, if you take a look at most of the Old Testament, it, it, most of those books, especially like Judges, it surrounds itself with, with the miraculous or the amazing. Right? In Judges, you have the picture of Samson. I mentioned him earlier where he defeats and conquers so many men with the jaw of a donkey. Remember that? He defeats the Philistines by pushing over the building. You have these amazing feats of strength. There is no such thing in Ruth. You'll find no miracle, no parting of the Red Sea. You'll find very little direct, if any, theological or doctrinal teaching statements. And yet in it, we will find something very beautiful. So why do I want to teach it? Here's the first reason. Number one, well, it's a love story. As I've been promoting the book over the last month and a half, I've had several ladies in the church go, I can't wait for Ruth. Right? The guys are like, oh, it's cool, bro. <laughs> but the ladies, the ladies, man, I've, had, I've had text messages, emails, from girls in the church saying, I cannot wait for Ruth. But even for the guys, let's admit it, every now and then it's okay to put on a little rom-com, right? A little romance to be reminded of love. And, and we're going to see we're gonna see this in the text. It is a love story between, between a widowed woman and between a man, Boaz. It's, 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 just a, it's almost like a Romeo and Juliet uh, love story. The, 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 the love that shouldn't happen does happen between a, a, a widowed woman and a rich field owner. One commentary says this, like Juicy Bait, their first meeting on Boaz's field quickly hooks the reader. Once snagged, the audience must remain to see how the romance ends. The unexpected appearance of another suitor? The anonymous kinsman only intensifies the curiosity. Now the audience cheers mentally for Boaz and rejoices when he indeed marries that lovely young lady. On the other hand, a tragic foreboding hangs over the romance. The audience aches sad for Naomi, bereft of any heir whose family may soon cease to exist. It prays for an answer and then celebrates 
when the love story concludes. I just think it's good to talk about love. I think it's good for us to be reminded of that love. The Bible actually teaches us in regards to marriage, if you remember clearly that we are his bride and he's the great bridegroom. And there is no mountain high enough that he has not climbed to receive his bride unto himself. Number two, it's a, it's a book of God's providence in the human life. God is involved and, and, and rejoice in this, my family. God is, God is deeply involved in the normal things of life. Like I said, there's, there's no audible voice from God here. There's no, good, there's no visions. There's no miracles. There's just, there's just this feeling and understanding that God's providence and care is deeply intricated within this whole story. He's involved in all the normal things. And all the mothers in the room should say, Amen. It's a reminder for us that, that God doesn't just love the extraordinary. He also loves the mundane. Do you know God, moms, is involved when you wash the dishes? Guys, do you know he's involved when you occasionally wash the dishes? You know God's involved, men, in your lives every time you go to work, every time you try to step up and provide for your family. Moms, every time you pray for your kids. None, none of it in God's eyes is mundane. He's deeply involved in common people's lives. That's what this story teaches us. Naomi's a nobody. Ruth is a nobody. And what we'll find out as we drive towards this, that Ruth ends up becoming the the main lineage in which Jesus Christ comes. Through this love story of Boaz and Ruth will come Obed, who fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, and David is the lineage through who now we receive Jesus Christ. Think of this for a moment. Just just step again into the story of Naomi. At one time, she had everything. She's got a Limelech, who obviously was a good father. Right? He, he was a good dad. He raised his, his young boys in such a way that he took good women for themselves. As I did, I'd say he... He taught his children to marry up. And they did. And one time Naomi had this beautiful, perfect family unit. Naomi, her husband Elimelech, her two sons who then have two wives, and they have the perfect family unit. And within a blink of an eye in the text, it's all gone. Naomi loses her two boys. Naomi loses her husband. Tragedy has befalled the family. And at a point in the text, you'll see Naomi actually says about God, she says, his hand is against me. Yesterday, we had a memorial service for um, Becky Underwood. And I know some of you, probably many of you, don't know who Becky was. Becky's been in the community for a long time. She just recently passed away of cancer. And, uh, I first got to know Becky when I was probably around seven or eight years old. She used to work at Mickey's uh, Pet Stop. Back when Mickey's Pet Stop had like every weird animal there was. I think I bought all of them at one point in time. Killed all of them as well. It was another story. And at that time, you know, my my life was a little chaotic. My parents hadn't come to know Jesus. Uh, They still were using drugs and partying real heavy. And and so I I would leave our home, which was little 700-square-foot place. We lived with two Rottweilers and my cousin and a couple cats and who knows what else was living in the home. And I would walk down that hill to Mickey's Pet Stop just for, for some relief to be around the animals and to pet them, to hang out with Mickey. Becky was there, all 100 pounds of her. She's always been tiny. And, uh, and then another guy, his name was Jerry. He was the opposite of Becky. Jerry had long hair. He was a lead singer of a screamo band before a screamo before screamo band was actually a thing. And Becky was telling me when she when I was sitting by her bedside, she said, "If I ever told you the story of the time that uh, Jerry was cleaning out this huge boa constrictor's cage, and he handed me the boa constrictor while he cleaned the cage, and it was too heavy for me to hold, and it was too scary, and I never forgave him for that," she said. I, I she I've known her for a long time, and and in fact, it, at the same time, there was a a, a, a card shop across the way so this is kind of old trucky stuff and and that card shop was run by a guy who used to be an elder here his name was uh terry heilig and as a young kid i was over there one time we were buying cards and and uh 
and I, I stole some money from my buddy while and Terry saw me do it so I could buy more cards and Terry came out behind the uh, the the counter there and grabbed me by my feet and hung me upside down and shook me like this and all the money came falling out so that's how long ago this was she's been here for a long time and and then all of a sudden you know she, I be, I became her pastor and uh, you would know her by just simply seeing this little hundred pound frail lady coming to church with a 30 pound Bible and another 50 pounds of notes and she'd walk in and she'd sit down in the back and she'd meticulously write down scripture listen to the voice of the Lord she was a tremendous humble loving lady so a few weeks ago I'm sitting with her about a week before she passed and I was asking her if the Lord was speaking to her Again, if you, if you knew her, you would know humble, loving. Like she just exuded the presence of Jesus. And as I sat with her, I asked her that question, is God speaking to you? Because I, I knew in this moment, man, like when somebody's passing away, you're going to hear things that are unadulterated and they're pure. There's no reason to sugarcoat anything. Life here on earth is done. She said to me, he is, but not the way that I would like. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, I'd like to hear him audibly. But instead, what God has told me is I needed to hear his voice and feel his love through those in the church. She said, it's been hard for me to let someone take care of me, to have somebody, you know, provide for my needs. It's just been difficult. She said this. She said, I feel like this is the last lesson God wants me to learn before I go home. She said this. For a long time, I felt like God hated me. For a long time, I felt like God hated me. And my heart broke. She'd never been married. Always had had health issues. Man, she exuded the presence of Jesus. I could see in that moment that God indeed loved her, was caring for her, was present with her. But in that, in in moments in her life, she said, "Not now, but in moments of my life, I felt like God hated me." And she said, "Here's the other thing I really regret." She said, "I feel, I feel like I've never truly, really preached the gospel." And I looked at her and I said, "I said, Becky, you are preaching it louder than you could ever think or imagine right now." In fact, the home that she stayed in, not too far from here in Sierra Meadows, a non-Christian couple, they don't go to church. They brought, they brought Becky in based off one shared, shared love. You know what the shared love was? Birds. She owned a bird. They owned birds. They built a friendship. And through that friendship, they invited her into, her, into their home that she would pass away peacefully in their home. <clears throat> and they took her bird <laughs> Super important. Um, and uh, every day, do you know, what that, you know what that couple saw every day? Jesus-loving Christians walking into their home, sitting down with Becky, praying with her, and loving her. The reason I share that story is I think in some ways Becky uh, gives us an example of what Naomi was feeling. God hates me. God is against me. And yet the story we see moves. And this is the other reason why we're teaching through this text. It moves us to our redemption. It moves us towards our salvation. This little teeny book hidden just after Judges, this small what many theologians call short story or novella, this, this just teeny little book of love that seems obscure from common people is actually quite large. Without Ruth, there is no Jesus. Without the death of Elimelech, there is no Jesus. Without tragedy, there is no Jesus. And if there is no Jesus, there's no salvation. Imagine, imagine right now, such a beautiful picture. I can see it in my mind. Becky sitting next to Naomi, looking down, and Naomi saying, do you see these people in this room that know Jesus? They're there because of my tragic story. Do you believe that God moves not only in the mundane, but also in the trial and the tribulation? 
God is doing something in your difficulties, something in your depression, something in your anxiety, something in your trouble. He's there and he's present and it's for your salvation, your sanctification, as well as somebody else's. Who knows how many more people will come to Jesus? How many more people will finally experience the peace of God? No more oppression. Just the gospel peace that Jesus brings. The freedom that God brings. No longer having to find, a, find something inside to earn your salvation or earn your peace. There's, the work's been done. Jesus has finished it. All because a Moabite woman had the guts to walk into a room of an Israelite man who was older and richer than her, lie down at his feet and say, will you marry me? I want to teach the story because it's a story of love and it's a great story of God's providence in normal life. Becky lived a normal life, but it was an extraordinary life. Sinclair Ferguson says, we are not able to detect with perfect clarity the hand of God and the circumstances of our lives, far less see where he is heading with them. But when we find his autograph and the narratives of the biblical history, we begin to recognize the same or similar patterns and principles emerging in our own lives too. And so we learn to see his handwriting and our own experiences. You see that God is providentially involved in the everyday life, even the, the, the natural history events. He's involved in the famine that comes. He's involved in providing provision in the famine in another field that is Boaz's. He's involved in what seems to be just chance events. Naomi and, and Ruth just happening upon Boaz. God's involved in those things that look like they're coincidence. Guess what? For you as a Christian, there's no such thing. God's deeply involved in every part of your life because he cares that much about you. In fact, he cares enough about you to not leave you as you are. And that's why sometimes he brings tragedy and hardship in your life to actually bring you to a place of realizing who is it that you truly trust. Do you trust your circumstance? Wives, is it your husbands you trust? Good luck with that. Is it your wives you trust, men? Is it your kids? All fail. All of them fail. Murphy was here for the first time in a while. Some of you know Murphy. He's one of our special guys. He likes to talk in the service quite often and raise his hand for no reason. He came to me after the service, the first service, and he was really bummed out because he, he lost his dog. His dad's sick. And he said, man, I, he said, why would God, he said to me, why would God leave me alone like that? And I said to him, Murphy, you're not alone. We're here, and God's always there. God is always there involved in chance events. He's also, if we step back, and again, this is just an introduction, he's, he's very much involved in your faith-filled risks. Naomi took a, not Naomi, I'm sorry, Ruth took a huge risk, did she not? She goes to a foreigner. She propositions him as an Israelite. She's a younger woman. He's an older man. She's a destitute field worker propositioning a landowner. I don't know one parent who would encourage their child to do such a thing. We'll also see that in, uh, for, for Boaz to take Ruth as his wife, to be the redeemer for Ruth, that he has to go through a legal process, and God is even involved in that. God is involved in our legal process, whether you know it, whether you recognize it or not. God is involved. It puts us in a place of having to take a step back and trust that he knows something we don't know. He's involved in ways that we cannot see. Ultimately, I want to teach this book not just because it shows us God's providence and not just because it's a love novel, but, but it points us, as I said earlier, it points us to the redemption. It points us to Jesus. Many, many theologians say we shouldn't call this the book of Ruth. We should call it the book of Obed, or even farther, we should call it the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It points us to the Messiah. Again, Ferguson says, apparently this... Uh, oops. Apparently the story of a small and insignificant family, it is actually one of the building blocks in God's preparatory work as he sovereignly directed history towards the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ. 
fact, I will tell you, friends, that we cannot fully understand the book of Ruth without fully understanding the story of Jesus Christ. There's another lesson in this for so many of us in our room. Not everyone is able to have children. Some of you have had the difficulty of having children. In fact, this morning is little baby Riker, born to John and Sam Amen. They never thought they would have kids. They were totally ingrained in the adoption process. Is he sitting with you right now, Sam? And there's their beautiful little baby right there. Shh, don't wake him. He's sleeping. The reason I share that is because this story thrusts itself between this relationship between, between Ruth and Boaz, and it just pushes all the way down to the end of the book after the fourth chapter towards little baby Obed. And I just want to remind you, parents, from Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children's of one of one's youth. I almost don't want to read that verse to my boys. Because I feel like they'll say, like, well, we have to have arrows and we've got to shoot each other. It goes on, it says, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks to his enemies at the gate. Hey, hey, I just want you to know as parents, when I know parenting is hard. I know parenting is difficult. I'm there. I have four little ones. None of them have a weak personality. Not one. I'm not kidding. There is no such thing as a passive personality in the Richardson home. I know how hard it is. But here's the reminder. Children are a huge blessing from Jesus Christ. As I shared in the annual report about all the things that we're doing next door, and I've even had some people say, you know what, do you think maybe, maybe you're overemphasizing what we're doing with young people and with families? I've had people actually say that. And I don't critique them for them, because critique it because I, I understand, guess what? Those of you in the room who are older, you're super important to Jesus as well. But you're useless if you're not training the next generation. The heritage has to continue. Doesn't it? Lauren Robinson watched our kids for us the other night. God bless her, pray for her, give her some medication, whatever it is. So we could go out to dinner and uh, such a blessing. We asked her if we could pay her. And she just laughed at us and said no. And I was sitting, I've known Lauren. Lauren, how old was I when we first met? Do you know? If you're trying to forget it, aren't you? I asked her, I said, is it really weird? I asked her the night, is it really weird um, I don't want to get too emotional here. I've got to try to hide my feelings here. Cause it, I said, is it weird to see me now in the pastoral position? Because she remembers me when my parents would first go to Bible studies. I was just a little kid. She said, every week from Bible study, her two daughters would complain about all the mean things I was doing to them. I said, is it really weird? And she said, it is and it isn't. And she said this really gracious thing to me. She said, you're the pastor I would have chosen, which I thought was really kind. But her, her family is an example of continually pressing into the next generation. I'm here because somebody like Wayne and others pressed into the next generation. And we as the church have to see a story in here. The, the part of the story is that we've got to keep pressing in to the next generation. That young people do matter to Jesus Christ. That Satan is doing everything he can to make our young kids, especially in junior high and senior high, depressed, anxious, and suicidal. That everything in culture is teaching them that they're not good enough, that God isn't real. Sex in any, any way possible is okay, as long as you're not harming somebody else. Truth, truth is relevant. Make it whatever you want. Satan is against them. And we're reminded in Ruth that no, God is for them. How did the Savior come? as a baby what did Jesus say about children don't you ever do anything to keep them from me because if you do it'll be better if someone tied a big rock around your neck and threw you in the ocean so we should care the other reason as I shared earlier in the beginning that I really want to teach this book is because it does move us from the narrative of sorrow and suffering to a narrative of joy. John Piper says, it's a story that shows us how God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. It's a, it's a story for people who wonder where God is when there are no dreams or visions or prophets. 
It's for people who wonder where God is when one tragedy after another attacks their faith. It's a story for people who wonder where, whether li- a life of integrity in tough times is worth it. And it's a story for people who can't imagine that anything great could ever come of their ordinary lives of faith. It's a refreshing and encouraging book. And I want you, I want our church to be refreshed and encouraged by Ruth's faith and courage and God's love for those that seem just so ordinary in life. It's also another great story of God's acceptance of a foreigner. We're reminded again, just as we were in Jonah, that God deeply cares about people that we would never think he would care about. We, we um, as I mentioned, you know, there's all these things that happen at the church when you're not here on Sundays. So I don't know if you know this, but church is not open here, only on Sundays. We're really blessed in that we were able to provide for a staff and resources where Essentially, we're open six days out of the week. And um, we've become, you know, a, a great beacon of hope and light, I think, in our community, and we want to be that. We, we want Truckee to be better because we're part of Truckee. And we see those who don't believe in Jesus, and we love them and we care for them, even though they may disagree with us or think that we're completely full of it, even though they think we're weird, even though they think that we're awkward and we're dumb for what we believe, we still want to be a great hope and light and beacon, right? And we leave this place, many of us, we scatter to all kinds of places. You got Dr. Dave, he's cracking backs for Jesus. And you've got real estate agents selling houses for Jesus. And Anka's making art for Jesus. And people are plumbing for the Lord. And I mean, you name it, we're doing it. Matt's hanging up TVs for Jesus. Like, we're all doing different things up at the ski resort. We're all hopefully doing it for the Lord. We're all over the place. And we want to see God continue to move in some pretty incredible ways. I want to see God continue to move in some pretty incredible ways. And so we continue to press in. We continue to look at Ruth as a reminder to to drive us towards those that are unlike us. And as I said, as we kind of go throughout the week, things happen. So I was on vacation for 10 days. During those 10 days, I got back. And Brad Franklin, who uh, makes all the financial things happen, he cuts the checks and he makes sure that we don't overspend in areas. and He does just so much for us as a church family financially that I do not want to do. That really, I don't know if he wants to do it, but he does it, and I'm thankful for it. I get back, and he says, hey, did you hear about the church bus? So several years ago, somebody in the church, a long time ago, they donated our church bus. It's a $100,000 bus. And the reason for it the reason he donated is his kids were in youth group at the time and uh, when I was a youth pastor and we traveled down to San Diego to do some things down there, go to a school of ministry and stuff and and we had to, uh, we had almost 100 kids go with us and we, it was just going to be way too much to carpool. So this benefactor who had the finances to do it, he, he rented for us that particular trip a charter bus. Remember that Brad, were you on that trip? Sorry, you're not here. I don't mean to point you. It's a sabbatical. And um, it, it would cost $10,000 for that week. So he said, you know, I'm not going to keep doing that. I'm going to buy you a bus. So he bought us this bus that we've used for all of our trips. Totally paid for it. Didn't come out of our budget. Someone gave it to us. And we've been able to drive down to all kinds of trips. John's been able to take them to all kinds of things. All kinds of trips for the kids. And it's safe. And, and it, the, the cost is just, it's way better. So while we're gone, while I was gone, some of the kids next door broke in down through the hatch and caused thousands of dollars worth of damage in the bus. Thousands of it. Did you hear about that, Brad? You're on sabbatical. Pretend you didn't hear it. It's no big deal. Tell me in two weeks. Um, and here's the deal. It's okay. Who cares? We'll get it fixed. But you know what it tells me? It tells me that there is families within our area that are broken. They don't know the Lord. They're poor like Naomi. They're destitute. They're alienated. There's one kid in particular. I don't want to say his name, but he's young. And all of the police department know exactly who he is. You know that God loves that little boy. 
And I'm sure he's the one who caused all the thousand dollars of damage. There's a part of me who wants to go next door, find him, grab him by the neck, and go. And there's another part of me that wants to bend down on one knee. Say, do you know I forgive you? And I love you. And God loves you. In spite of all of the bad things that you do. He loves you. And you know it would be my hope to see that young boy. Maybe he's the next pastor of Sierra Bible Church. Because I was that boy. As we continue to press into the Bible, as we continue to press into the great redemptive story of Ruth, may God truly bring our sorrow and our troubles of the winter into the new season, the great joy of the sunshine that summer can bring. And may it move us to a place of worship where we say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me, an unworthy sinner, Thank you, Lord, for bringing me into a church family, to a group of people who are committed to loving you and supporting your mission. And again, from my heart and the leadership's heart, thank you for helping us move forward as a family. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reminder of your love for common people. We thank you for the ways that you love us, though we don't deserve it. We thank you for the ways that you are providential in our lives, even if we don't recognize it. We thank you that underneath our brokenness is actually great redemptive hope and purpose. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless our church. And I ask that in prayer, knowing, Lord, that we have done nothing to deserve your blessing and grace. We simply ask you to bless us, Lord, because you're gracious. And you love to bless your people because you're loving. And allow us, Lord, in those blessings to praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand as we close in worship? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels deep. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story.
praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my Praising my Savior all the day long. Have a wonderful week. But go and